Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 94 and today I'm interviewing Kanan Techandani. That's really hard to say. Um, Kanan was introduced to me via a mutual colleague. So thank you, Shanna, for introducing us to each other. And Kanan is a slightly different guest to her usual because she's not low carb and she's vegan. But I thought it would be really interesting to have her on. So I invited us to join her, join us because I think sometimes it's good to get a different view. Also, Kanan is very much in favor of real food rather than processed foods. So I think we're, you know, we're at maybe different ends of the spectrum, but, um, we have this common ground of things that we can all agree is good for us is real food. Also, Kanan is neurodivergent and helps neurodivergent people as a coach. So I thought that might be interesting as well. So let us know what you think about the episode. So I'll tell you a little bit about Kanan. Kanan Techandani is a relationship whisperer and an autistic specialist coach for exceptional and twice exceptional individuals, their partners and parents. After years of working with highly intelligent and sensitive individuals to declutter their homes, Kanan realised her true purpose laying help in them to clear the misunderstandings that were cluttering their ability to experience connection, peace and happiness in their most important relationships. The most important one being the one with themselves. Kanan's ability to translate different people's experience of the world means that they get to experience harmony in their relationships and joyful optimism for the future. People she loves working with may suspect or have a diagnosis of Asperger's, autism, ADHD, as well as being highly intelligent, high achievers, high potentials, highly sensitive, highly creative, out-of-the-box thinkers, gifted or complex individuals. Wow. Let's go and listen to the um, episode and see what you think. Welcome, Kanan, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks for having me today. (laughs) And we always ask our guests, where in the world are you? So I'm in Baldock in Hertfordshire, UK. But you haven't got a Baldock accent, have you? (laughs) <laughs> no, no. I grew up uh, up north uh, in Lancashire near Blackpool. So most people have heard of Blackpool, but I came from a small town called Thornton. Um, so it's very, very quiet and quaint. Yeah, and you still got your accent. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it'll ever go. <laughs> no, probably not. So um, for our listeners, 
I've invited you today because it's interestingly, you're not low carb, um, you're not keto, um, and you're ve- you personally are vegan. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought, but the impression, what I got the impression when we, sp- we spoke offline a while ago um, is that you're really into real food. And I think for mm-hmm. us in listeners is, you know, that is a main focus of what we focus on is real food, whatever mm-hmm. that form it is so I thought that would be an interesting topic and then you also work with people with neurodiversity um and I think you said you're a neurodivergent yourself didn't you yeah so I'm autistic and gifted so that's what we call twice exceptional wow so yeah neurodivergent so I thought this was going to be a really interesting podcast and very different to ones that we've done before so maybe you could start by just giving telling us a little bit about you and your journey and how what got you to where you are today okay yeah um so basically my I think my big journey started when I had my first son and um when he was a toddler we we had a lot of problems with his behavior and he had a lot of allergies when we started weaning him um I couldn't quite figure out what it was that was going on it took a uh, many years of um researching myself basically to try and figure out what it was because uh, school doctors and um, basically you know anyone around me thought there was nothing wrong and no one believed me so but as a parent I knew there was something in my gut that didn't feel right so I was researching things like ADHD um, and then realizing that you know there's a very similar um, way that it presents in terms of uh, autism as well Um, Anyway, so during that time, because I had no support, I had I started taking responsibility for things that I could control in our life. Mm-hmm. So things like what we were eating. Um, I was doing yoga and mindfulness, and I trained up as a yoga and mindfulness teacher for children so that I could um, implement that in our family life. Um, I also decluttered and reorganized our house so that it was very much more easier to maintain, less overwhelming. Uh, so that I could have more time to focus on the important stuff, you know, looking after our well-being. Um, and then I, I somehow fell into some coaching. I got some coaching myself and I loved it. And then I started doing lots of coaching training. And basically all of that stuff brought me to where I am today, which is um, coaching adults who are neurodivergent, uh, but they may not know it. Uh, because lots of us don't realize that we are neurodivergent because I think it's quite a new thing um when I was younger it wasn't something that was uh, really spoken about the only thing we, we we really were exposed to in terms of autism was young kids that uh, couldn't speak and could would line up cars or rain man so it was really limited yeah uh, and yeah so for our listeners could you just go yeah. into a little bit about neurodiversity and what that means and yeah yeah so um Neurodiversity just means that different brain types are just the natural uh, natural thing in the world. Uh, so most people's brains are what we call neurotypical. So the way that, that um, it's uh, developed and the way it's uh, created, most people's brains are basically the same. But when your brain develops differently or is, is different, differently wired, uh, that's neurodivergent. So what that might look like is um, autism, ADHD. It could be dyslexia, dyspraxia. 
Um, it could also be when someone has had trauma, whether it's physical trauma, you know, like if they've been in a, a car accident or at birth. Um, it can also be things like anxiety, depression. So it does change the way our, our brain is working and wired. So it's a, it's a much broader term than we might realise. Um, but basically, if, if you're not in that average type of brain and you're yeah. on the sort of outskirts, then you're neurodivergent. And the other thing to note is that it's it's not just like a neat little box. You, do, you don't necessarily just fall into, I'm autistic. It's very common for people to have more than one uh, type of neurodiversity so it is common for people who are autistic to also be um to have adhd for example or to have dyslexia so it can be really complicated and it could be a myriad of things going on um and so for my family we're we're twice exceptional because when you have um giftedness or high iq but you also have a learning challenge such as autism ADHD, dyslexia, that's why we call it twice exceptional because you've got two different types of exceptionalities. Mm. Some people are multi-exceptional and have loads of stuff going on. So life can be really challenging. Yeah. So as you're saying that, I'm thinking about my boys and I think, you know, they might fall somewhere on that spectrum, especially Alex, who has a high IQ and dyslexia. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. he would be considered twice exceptional. Yeah. yeah, Ben has a very high IQ. So Ben is um, a member of Mensa. So they did Mensa when they were 11 or 12. And Hi. Ben got in and Alex missed out by a couple of percentage points, you know, really <laughs> quite high up there as well. Um, but I think it's it was his dyslexia that that sort of stopped him being able to yes to do that so yeah and yeah. this is this is the thing with being twice exceptional particularly at school uh the reason it gets missed is because the the high iq can mean that you cover up your challenges and then you don't get the help that you should be getting um but it can work the other way around so that your challenges completely cover up your your intellect intellect sorry and so you know it's it's a really difficult way to get through school when people when teachers and adults are aware of what your needs are these these different needs yeah I think for Alex he so he he did have a um SEN coordinator but the things that they were offering, he didn't want, he didn't want to stick out amongst his friends. So he didn't want to yeah. do any of that. So he really struggled a bit. Yeah. And he did well. He, you yeah. know, he chose things in the end, he chose um, subjects that were set up for him. So doing yeah. um, what they called, not the GCSEs, the other ones, the BTECs. So doing the BTECs instead of the GCSEs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did really well in those subjects. Mm-hmm. that's it always following what you're good at makes everything so much easier um but you know with with school of course everyone's expected to achieve the same stuff and that's when we can feel like we're not doing so well even though actually we have a lot of talents yeah yeah so yeah I think a school isn't set up for lots of children and 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 there's this challenge of do you take them out of school and teach them yourself but then you've got to have the time and the financial ability to do that. And then there's that lack of um, friendship groups 
that they would make at school. These are all the big challenges that you face if you're going to homeschool. Yeah, and and there are other options, which uh, although I haven't followed because my kids are in mainstream school, but, um, you know, just hanging around in uh, neurodiverse parent groups uh, and having friends in this area, there are other options. There's like online schools, there's... um, uh, I forget the names. They're like forest schools. Uh, they they focus on the creativity and uh, center around the the talents of the child. So there are alternatives, but obviously there's not so many of them. Yeah, and, and ho- maybe homeschooling. The, yeah, maybe yeah, homeschooling is challenging. The Stein the Steiner schools maybe. Yes, the Steiner schools. Yes, um, but yeah, the homeschooling thing with uh, what I one of my really good friends uh, who is actually my yoga teacher trainer as well um she homeschools and her son does have access to lots of socializing because they go and do uh, specific subjects in groups outside of home so I think it's not as uh, bad as it initially seems yeah you know they, they yeah. do get exposed to other groups as well of, of children that are maybe more appropriate for them yeah anyway sorry I interrupted yeah. <laughs> you to, to go on to neurodivergency but go back to your story yeah. go on um so I'm going to turn it back into kind of the the food aspect I think and what we eat and and what's happened um so I'm Chinese so growing up I lived above a Chinese takeaway (laughs) so the food wasn't super healthy in terms of snacks and things Uh, you know I had access to chips and prawn crackers and really unhealthy stuff but um actually what what we would do um at the end of a night at one in the morning that's when our main meal was oh. at the weekend. So we'd have a what look, would look like a banquet, and it'd be quite healthy stuff. Actually, it'd be uh, you know um, lots of greens, mushrooms, you know the, the really big Chinese mushrooms that we have, and uh, maybe um, lot like a large duck, uh, a large fish. So it was all actually quite healthy, but we're eating really late at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so I had the exposure to both. And I think part of that exposure to the unhealthy stuff made me want to eat more healthily. But there was a lot of meat throughout my, my lifetime, throughout my childhood. We always had meat uh, and we always had veg. Um, but since I um, have my family, I've, I've been exposed to different ways of eating. So my son because he had so many allergies, we had to strip his diet down so that it was pretty much fruit and veg. And then I had to start introducing uh, things like egg, dairy, fish back into his diet um, because those were the things he was allergic to. So he had a really healthy diet when he was young. Um, and that that was really, we could see the effect of uh, the allergy. He would get uh, either, he'd either projectile vomit um, or he'd have really bad eczema. But as soon as we changed his diet and he was eating all the, the healthy stuff, um, his his skin cleared up. Mm. And it, it was it was almost miraculous, right? So I, I knew that the food was really important. Um, then for myself, because I was going down this route of um, yoga and and looking after my my own health, I decided to go vegan. And so how old were you at that point or, or how long ago was that? I, so it's, it's probably about five years ago. Okay. And I honestly thought 
it would be impossible because <laughs> I ate so much meat, right? And and everything I cooked for our family was was based around meat because meat had so much flavour, and I just couldn't figure out how to do it. And and also being someone who has trouble putting on weight, and I knew that going vegan uh, would mean losing weight unless you ate loads more volume. Mm. Uh, so I was I was worried about that as well, and the the protein and you know the possible deficiencies. I didn't want to become pale and ill, um, but I had I had some good friends who gave me good advice, so I, I went for it. And um, it was hard at the beginning, but I've definitely reaped the benefits of it, which is why I'm still doing it now. Um, before I used to be ill quite a lot. I used to get colds um, and and flus quite easily, but I, honestly, since I've gone vegan. I can barely remember, but getting ill with any of those things. Yeah. And so it might not just be the, the diet change, of course, but I definitely feel so much better in myself because of it. Yeah. And I feel like I've got loads more energy. So that's why I've, I've stayed vegan. Now, my husband, because he's um, he's had health problems in the past with his gut, he has been diagnosed with uh, IBS, IBD, irritable um, bowel disease, and it was quite severe. He was In, off work. Inflammatory, inflammatory Sorry, bowel inflammatory disease. Bowel disease yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was he was off work for three months um, because he literally, you know, it's was, it was so severe. He, he couldn't really leave the house kind of thing. Um, and they were giving him meds. Um, but being someone who would rather take a natural approach and preventative approach, uh, again, I was researching what, what can I do? And that's when I found um, this... A special diet called the SED, the specific carbohydrate diet. And I thought I'm going to give that a go because the book was um, saying that this diet was for um, Crohn's and um, ulcerative colitis. And also it's good for autism and ADHD. So I thought, you know, that there seemed to be a lot of um, testimonials around it, which backed it, you know, um, so I gave it a go. It wasn't easy because it was, it was really there's sort of a two pronged approach about um, making helping your gut to heal by eating easy to digest foods, but also putting in the healthy bacteria. Mm. Um, so doing the making yogurt with the right bacteria in. So it was quite specific and it was quite difficult to follow. But I my, my husband did get better. And I we do believe it played a massive part in, in improving his gut health and so, so when you know sorry I was going to say so when you say specific carbohydrate diet I mean you said about the bacteria but what and the easy to digest carbs yeah. I guess more than anything so I, how, do, um, how does it work what is it what do you have okay. to do so what it looks like is um you have this list of foods which are uh, okay and a list of foods which are not okay and the ones that are okay they're, they're considered e easy to digest because they're short chains right. uh, so I'm not a very scientific person but from a very simple uh, perspective it's they're short chains so they're easy for your body to break down and assimilate and the the more complex long chain foods they're harder work for your, your um, system to break down so that makes it things to avoid the things that they said were good were were meat and they had to be cooked quite well so that one of the mainstays was this chicken and vegetable soup where you cooked it for like four to six hours mm. 
but then you take every you take all the vegetables out because the fibers were not good things like onion and celery you had to take all that stuff out um uh, but the so it's almost like stock I guess and that's the stuff that was very good to um to drink and the chicken because it'd been cooked so long it was already broken down very soft um and then you have things like even fruit was tricky because they can be at long chain um so we would have to uh, cook the apple in the oven so it's almost like baby food yeah so so it's it's kind of like breaking down the food already so it's easy to digest um I'm not going to pretend I know you know in depth about the science behind it I just followed the diet and um I was conscious I understood the bigger concept which was make it make it easy to digest whatever you're putting in um, avoid the stuff that's harder to digest because that's going to make your gut work harder but then also putting in the good bacteria so we had to make um, our own yogurt uh, using I remember it was goat's milk mm-hmm. and uh, certain bacteria which I'm not going to try and pronounce but there's certain bacteria which is specified in the book and you you uh, make that yourself at home and it took like 24 hours I think yeah. And then that's so you, you had this two pronged approach, put the good stuff in and whatever you're eating, make sure it's easy to digest. And that was basically it. So it sounds it sounds simple, but because there's lots of preparation uh, that has to go on beforehand, you know, like cooking something for four, six hours is not easy. But it was, in my opinion, it was worth it because it it helped him heal. Yeah. You have to be very prepared don't you you have to plan you can't just think oh I haven't got anything to eat no then (laughs) then you'll be starving (laughs) so yeah I I really um I really liked the science behind it because she's a she's a doctor from Germany um and I think the proof is in the pudding isn't it so um I don't know if kind of doctors would ever if you went to a GP if they'd say yes they probably wouldn't say you know try this but I'm I'm someone who thinks well if it, if it's not worked by going to the GP the traditional route then we need to look at alternatives and that that worked for us so yeah I'm very much in that so what's the name of the book so it's called Breaking the Vicious Cycle and it's by Elaine Gottschall yeah great I'll put that in the show notes so people can click on the link um, yeah I'm very much in favour of if the doctor doesn't know or doesn't seem to be giving a piece of advice that makes sense then I will go off and do something else about it yeah yeah I totally agree because at the end of the day they are general practitioners and also um I don't know about you but I've I've been to doctors and hospitals where the doctors themselves look more ill than me so that you know it's kind of that whole um are they are they living the way that they're telling us to live yeah um that's that's kind of if if the proof is there then I'm happy to follow it yeah yeah absolutely yeah um so go back to well let's carry on with your story so so now how are you how are you coping with food because you're vegan and what's happening with your children and what's happening with your husband so is he still doing this um scd diet okay so that's an interesting story so i think with with healing comes um a sense of comfort and going oh i'm okay now and so there's a 
tendency to go back to our old habits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think this is common for a lot of us. So he he kind of veers between eating well and then, you know, being tempted by the not so good stuff. And I think that's just part of the thing that we go through in life. Um, for myself, I've stuck to the the veganism because I spend a lot of time focusing on keeping myself well, because I think that's important for me to um, take the best care of my family and take the best care of my clients. So I've got, you know, I've got a, a lot invested in that. Um, how do I, how do I do that? It's tricky because my kids eat meat and they all have, um, they're quite fussy because they are neurodivergent. And this is a common thing where they will only eat certain things because they have sensory um, sensitivities. Um, sometimes you might see like certain people saying, don't mix foods on the plate. You know, so there's, there's things yeah. like this that go on that you have to be conscious of. And then obviously my, my partner eats meat and I don't eat meat. So sometimes at one point I was making like three meals uh, in each sitting, which was a nightmare. I can imagine um, that. <laughs> so I so don't even like cooking. <laughs> I, I hate cooking. I'll, you know, honestly, this is um, for for someone who's autistic. I I, I just want to speak for myself, and I, I do think it's quite common as well. We don't find um, kind of the day to day stuff so easy um, because cooking has so many steps involved in it. It's actually very energy draining mentally mm. and physically. Um, and it, we don't necessarily find it easy. So what's been a godsend are these things like Mindful Chef, which is what I use, and all plants, the frozen um, like healthy foods. Um, so they, they are kind of there in my fridge. I've already checked them out. I know that they're healthy. Um, I have to cook some of it myself, but it's just taking some of the stress off of, okay, what well, have I got all the ingredients? Um, have I got enough food for the whole week? Because I, I do try to meal plan each Sunday. Um, the For me, I like a bit of variety, but then it becomes difficult to find meals that will be easy to cook. So that's why I like Mindful Chef. But then I'll, I'll mix that. So some of the vegan stuff, or what I should say, some of the vegetables <laughs> that are in those meals uh, you know like we might do roast potatoes or um, carrots uh, and lots of broccoli but then I'll put some meat in the oven maybe for the kids you know maybe do a chicken fillet or fry fry a fish that sort of thing so that it doesn't mean I've got to literally make three separate meals yeah so it's trying to be trying to kind of be adaptable um, the ideal is when I pick all vegan meals and everyone will eat it yeah but that's not not quite worked out 100 but often they'll they're willing to try it and so I know that they're also getting um a, a relatively plant-based meal every every so often during the week um because I do believe that it's also up to them that they've got to make the choices for themselves you know um, me forcing it on them won't work because at some point they're going to become an adult and they're going to have their own choice and I, I want them to take responsibility for feeling good but ex so my job is to expose them to all the different types of food and and they see how that makes them feel and then they make sort of a, a conscious choice about it as they get older and older yeah great and so for you how do you get your protein where where does your protein come from 
so I have a lot of tofu, I love tofu, tempeh, um, lentils, chickpeas, um, hummus. And we have also, we have smoothies in our house where we use this pea protein. Yeah. Um, and my, my kids like that as well. So that's great because I know the, the old um, protein smoothies, well, sorry, the protein powders that um, we were aware of were very much, uh, they were whey based, yeah. which I was trying to avoid and, you know, I'd heard bad stuff about. So the fact that we were all happy with the pea protein was great. <laughs> yeah. So I think we also using um, using Mindful Chef, although it feels it, sometimes it feels like a bit of a cheat, but they've done all the work, right? That they've balanced the meal out. So why would I not use that? So that that's what's been really helpful as well. And so, do you look into combining the proteins to make sure you're getting all the essential amino acids? Do you go that far into to look to make sure you're getting all the amino acids that you need no to be honest probably not my my um my way of doing is if I feel good then it's it then I must be doing okay if I don't (laughs) feel good then I need to do make some change different yeah yeah um I mean I do see I've seen lots of different sort of uh natural therapists and they give me advice but I, I know that change is not easy and it's going to be a gradual thing where I might want to keep adding things in over time. So I've, magnesium was one of the things that I wanted to add in. And I've had a bit of a struggle with that over the, the years because I don't really like the, the, the texture um, and the taste of those, those little supplements in tablets. So I've tried liquids oh. and even the liquid, I'm like, mm, you know, it, eventually because it's not um pleasant it becomes something you want to avoid so what I've now gone to is the magnesium in my body cream which is a delight because you know it's it's got a lovely smell it's got essential oils in it and it's for sleep but it means that I can slaver on the magnesium in that way and um it's just looking at how can I make sure that I do it even if I'm not doing it perfectly, how can I do it so that it, it becomes something pleasant that I want to do all the time? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, I can relate to that. I have um, a collagen drink that is really not pleasant to taste. <laughs> and I do take it and I just hold my nose and I down it in one. But yeah, I, I can avoid, I can quite often avoid taking it because it's not pleasant it doesn't smell mm. nice and it doesn't taste nice <laughs> no the, uh, the the other thing um I also did uh, at one point was uh the celery juice in the morning I don't know if uh, you've ever tried that one where um I did it really for inflammation to reduce inflammation and to kind of cleanse and the, I remember when I first did it it felt like such a hassle <laughs> getting organic celery and then getting this massive juicer out um, and then have it clean this it was, it was such a faff yes but actually when I did it I felt really good um, I'm not doing it now but I feel like you know okay I could see the benefits of it and if I want to go back to it I can um, it was yeah it's, it's worth trying these things and seeing what sticks I think sometimes but the so the point what I was trying to make was I did actually get to like the taste it, yeah. it was just a gradual thing it's a bit like when I went vegan uh, the, the hardest part of going vegan was cutting out milk because I drink I used to drink a lot of tea 
and I'd always have milk in my tea. Mm-hmm. And when I tried to have uh, soya milk or almond milk, it just tasted horrendous. Yeah. And so I've that was the that. hardest bit. <laughs> but they've got really good now, you know, with the, the oat milk is um, very convincing or it's very, it just tastes really nice. So I think we're lucky in the, the time we're at now because there's so many more alternatives that make it easier for us. Yeah, yeah. And then going back, because you mentioned that you're supplementing with magnesium, what other supplements do you take? I mean, do you take B12 and choline and things um, like that? So just B12, really. Um, I don't really take any other supplements. Um, I've been using this, the, the liquid uh, Floridic. Floridic. So that's yeah. got a mix Iron. of things in it. Yeah. So um, I don't take that consistently. I kind of take that when I feel like I need it. Mm. Um, because I think it's because I generally feel quite well. So I, I'm always trying to listen to my body rather than... Um, you know, like vice versa, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So when you're working, so you you now working with neurodivergent clients, coaching them, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that, how, you, how it works and, and the, some of the things that you focus on, how you help people. Okay. So with, with neurodivergent adults, uh, probably the, the there's big problems that are very consistent, anxiety, and sometimes depression. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also overwhelm. Have it just from day to day stuff, like you know, like I mentioned, cooking, managing the house. Those things can be really overwhelming. So someone might be great at their job, but you know, at home, things can be very chaotic and, and disorganized. Um, it's often relationship problems because uh, growing up, when when you don't realize what's why you're struggling. When you're struggling, you're not in a, a good place to necessarily deal with problems anyway. You're not in the best place to deal with it. So that can affect your relationships. So a lot of what I do is um, kind of like partly educating them about themselves, uh, you know, like psychoeducation around neurodiversity, also bringing them uh, awareness to how they're interacting and why they're doing certain things that they're doing that aren't helpful. Uh, I also work on helping them to change their environment so that it's less um chaotic so I'm I'm also a professional organizer and declutterer I'm a member of uh, the association of professional organizers and declutterers in the UK Mm -hmm. and often people we help are um ADHD or autistic because part of the problem is our executive function can be affected so the ability to plan and complete tasks is affected so that's why sometimes we need to get help outside our brain whether that's from tech or whether that's from a person who helps us set up systems. It's about making that part of your life less of a struggle so that you've got more energy to go and do the other things that you really want to do. Um, and then in terms of relationship, um, I'm, I'm a strategic intervention trained coach. So that's looking at uh, the six human needs and making sure that people are getting their needs fulfilled so that they're then able to um, overcome big challenges because we believe that a lot of our the reason why we can't overcome certain things is our needs are not being met yeah and we're unconscious of that so it's it's really bringing light to that using a, a framework that makes it more um, accessible so is that like Maslow's hierarchy of needs or is it it's, different it's it's similar but it's based on um, Tony Robbins um, experience so it's he's he's the person that trained me so it's his based on his experience working with like 
thousands of people. And what he's noticed consistently is that um, all humans have these six universal needs. And at any one time, we're all trying to get those needs met. And so our behavior can be explained when you use this framework. You know, if we're, for example, um, alcohol is a really good one. Um, why why do people drink even though we know it's not good for us and it Mm. might make us um, not very pleasant to be around so the the six needs are certainty variety love and connection significance and then the top two which are more spiritual needs are growth and contribution beyond ourselves Mm. so when you look at okay what what needs does alcohol meet well you get certainty because you know for sure you're going to feel relaxed. Yeah, right? it works. Does it? it just works? We know it works. You're also getting certainty because um, you know that it's um, going to change you from stress to feeling relaxed. So that's also variety. It also gives you variety because before you have it, before you drink, you're physically feeling tense, maybe, and your mind is very busy. But once you have it, your body relaxes, the physical body relaxes and the mind also, you know, it it drops things. Um, Do you get connection sometimes because you might go out social drinking? Yeah. And then does it give you significance? Probably not. But there's, there's, for example, three needs it meets. And they say the more needs something meets, the more addictive it becomes. Yes. So the the problem isn't that... um, that you want to meet your needs. That's not the problem. We all have to meet these needs. The problem is what we're using to meet those needs. That might have a negative impact on ourselves and other people in our lives. And so part of the work that I do is how can we replace that thing that you're using, what we call a vehicle? How can we pick something which is a higher quality vehicle, which still meets your needs? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's that's the main thing we've got to do. Meet your needs, but pick something that's better making better choices yeah yeah so you're also you're not just you're not you're not focusing particularly on food when you're working with people are you so you're looking at their their physical surroundings and how they set up their life and is that how you help them yeah so I work um holistically so it's about the environment the mind the body and the spirit and, and working on all of those aspects um Food obviously does play a part, um, but that's not where I kind of, um, that's not where my expertise lies. But what I've noticed is that most of my clients, they already are spending time on improving their health by changing their diet. That's what they want. So what I'm trying to do is make that bit a bit easier for them because everything's interlinked, right? So if I can help them, cope better in the different part of their life that gives them more energy and and motivation to improve their their eating habits their sleeping habits etc so I just it's it's all linked um and I think it's important to have an awareness of that so I have the awareness but I don't try to claim that I'm going to help them with their diet necessarily yeah obviously all ties in yeah but also it's about reducing stress and yeah and we all know that sleep it's massive in um, in how we function. If we're yeah. not getting enough sleep and at the right times, then that can have a big impact. And I'm sure whether whether we're just neurotypical or neurodivergent, that's going to be a big impact. Do you find that 
people who are neurodivergent do have different sleep patterns? Oh, yes. So this is one of the other major things that is, is very common. Difficulty sleeping. 100%. Um, so myself, I've also in the past had difficulty sleeping. I'd, I'd be worrying and ruminating on things and not go to sleep till two in the morning. Mm. But since I, I took on all these things that I've changed in my life, things like meditation, yoga, changed my diet and my habits, um, you know, improved my relationships and the mindfulness, that's, that's been one of the biggest things. That's how I, I could just drop off to sleep now most of the time, right? Obviously, it's not like that consistently, as in we always have challenges, but it's have you got the tools? If you've got tools and you can pull them out and use them, that's the most important thing. Um, but for neurodivergence, we, we often have trouble sleeping because one, we are often stuck in our mind. Yeah. So we are always thinking about um, either something that's happened and, and ruminating over it. Or we'll, as I said, anxiety is a very common trait. And that anxiety could be from so many things, but uh, with autism especially and ADHD, there's a lot of social anxiety because, you know, either we don't get it, we don't understand other people and how to communicate better because that's essentially part of what autism is, a trouble with social communication. Or we do know how to do it, but it takes a lot of effort. So that, that's, where I, that's where I sit now. You know, I know how to communicate, but it doesn't come naturally. It's not my, my natural state. I'd much rather be on my own, just sitting in nature. But obviously I can't do that, you know, forever, all the time. So I need to put myself in a position where I am able to communicate, which is a bit like when you learn to speak a foreign language. You can do it and you can get quite fluent, but it's never going to be your, your natural Thing that you can do so it always takes effort so um, that kind of thing causes anxiety and um, when you're analyzing social dynamics that takes a lot of um, effort and it can be very stressful and what we can sometimes do afterwards is reflect on what happened and start analyzing it yeah so that's when we get all stuck in our head and then that can last all day all night and then you worry about the next time you might have to get into that situation and so sleep can be elusive um but also sometimes because our bodies uh, of neurodivergent people they they may be requiring a lot of sensory feedback so for example like my son he needs to be moving all the time and my husband needs to be moving all the time it's um so if we don't get enough movement then also you can't sleep you know because you haven't you haven't got rid of that excess energy. energy. Yeah. So what for this is, I think this is a constant struggle, but um, some of the things that we've tried, for example, like I said, meditation is great. Yoga is great because it uh, allows you to put your nervous system into the right side of um, rest and digest, right? Moving from the, the sympathetic, sympathetic to the parasympathetic. parasympathetic. Yeah. So that's why I, I love yoga and, and breathing and meditation. Um, trying to get my teenage sons to do that obviously that's not quite so easy yeah so <laughs> you know it's, it's really how else can I slow down the the time before I want them to sleep how can I get them to how can I and how can they give their bodies the right message that it's time to wind down you know things like um no tv 
a certain time before bed, lowering the volume in the household, turn the lights down, um, putting on maybe like audio books or med meditative music. Um, even e eating protein at bedtime is helpful because that um, sometimes we need we need the food. Um, but it's it's about picking protein over carbohydrates. So that's one of the things that I encourage them to do. They don't always do it, but it's I, so I'll what, say to them. What sort of thing might they eat later in? There, there's definitely a desire for carbohydrate. Yeah. They, you know, they will want bread or they will want crisps. Yes. <laughs> All the really unhealthy stuff. Uh, biscuits, um, even, even juice drinks. So what I try to encourage them to do is have, um, if they want fruit, I say banana. I, I think that's a better choice. Um, but I, overall, I try to get them to have protein like cheese or turkey or ham or nuts. Um, those are the things that I try and encourage them to, to have. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things. Yeah. It's, it, all you can do is you can't force them. You can just try and influence them um, and, and try and remind them that this might be a better choice and it, you know I, what I can say is definitely over time it does work um you just have to stick with it and believe that it's going to happen it yes. just takes a lot longer than you think <laughs> yes well all change all change does and and also moving away from things that we've grown up doing and mm. now you're trying to put in new things in place yeah. is even more challenging and especially when you look at people around you and everybody else is doing doing the things that you used to do. So you've got those inputs from other people that is, you know, they all having all the other kids are having crisps and yes. biscuits and cakes in the evening. Why can't yeah. why can't they? Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, when when my son was younger and he had the allergies, of course, he he couldn't eat those. He couldn't have ice cream. He couldn't have biscuits. Um, so it's, it's actually quite easy, you know, um, because he had to avoid those things. Once he, he wasn't allergic, it was almost like um, opening up a, a toy box. And I thought, oh, yeah. what more of it, more of it. So th there's, I think it's like there's going to be a phase where that's going to be the novelty's kind of going to wear off and he's not going to feel so good. And, uh, you know, even now we, we talk about, you know, ice cream isn't is probably causing your eczema to come back so you might want to consider cutting that out and having something else so we have these conversations um I don't I don't force anything on people I just try to encourage them in the right direction um but yeah without a doubt it's not e I think it's not easy because I should say other people around us I've got this book on my table mm -hmm. it's called Oh. The keto ice cream scoop by Carrie Brown, and um, so you make your own ice cream, and it's all it's all good stuff in there. So, wow. um, yeah, I'd highly recommend that. If I will check that out, I don't think it's the same as normal ice cream. Not that I was uh -huh. ever a great fan of normal ice cream, um, but it's definitely an option for mm -hmm. um, you know particularly for kids they might not like it because it's got sweeteners rather than sugar and things like that but right might be worth a try yeah and we're you know we're always trying stuff sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but yeah I think that's that's how you grow isn't you try new things all the time yeah so one of the things I was going to ask you is because now you're talking to me and and we've had we've we've met on zoom before is that you come across 
very personable and very easy to talk to. And how is that different now that you've done all this work? How is that different to how you were before? Oh, it's completely different. Completely. Um, I've I've always been friendly and personable. I know that. Um, but what's changed is the 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 effort and the energy that I have to give to other people. So when I was younger, there was when I was at school, I I was masking basically what they call masking, where you um, appear fine socially. You can you can socialize, but it takes a heck of a lot of energy. And sometimes I would um, I would even go and hide in the toilets, right? It was because I just needed a break, a rest break. Um, I couldn't sometimes even answer the teachers because uh, I'd have what they call selective um, situational mutism because it's just so overwhelming having all this attention on me. So I wouldn't be able to talk. Now, look at what, what I'm like today. And the reason I'm okay today is because I know who I am and I know why I fe- felt that way. Yeah. And I have the tools to manage my anxiety, my nervous system. And also because I top myself up with good energy, good good mindset, um, it means that things don't really knock me anymore. You know, I don't I no longer value myself based on what someone else thinks about me. Yeah. Which is what I, I was definitely doing when I was younger. We we all did we it do when that, we were younger yeah. Yeah. because we're all just trying to fit in. But now it's more about is this in alignment with my values? Am I doing the things that are taking me uh, closer to living the life that I want to live, where I'm contributing to others in the right way and powerfully? So every choice I make now is much more conscious, whereas obviously when I was younger, I was unconscious and I was just coping the best I could and it was exhausting. Now it's it's much easier because I'm just being me and you know if people don't like it, that's fine. But at the end of the day, I am a very heart-centered person and I think people can can feel that. I, I work a lot around energy, you know, that's that's something that I probably don't speak so much about, but um, I'm very intuitive and um, I like to cultivate the right energy within myself and try to get other people to do that. So it's a very, it's more subtle now, um, but it's very really important, I think, that it's something we're not taught to do, you know, how to manage our emotions and our energies. Um, and when people are going on this journey of becoming more self-aware and they, they realize this, this is how you can find the peace and this is how you can have more control over your actions and um, the, the impact you have on other people. So now I think I still probably come across the same on the outside to everyone. Yeah. But the big difference is how I feel on the inside, which is I'm really comfortable, relaxed and nothing can shake me really now. Yeah, that's fabulous. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to ask you about what a daily food looks like for you and your family. Could you maybe talk about yesterday yeah. or something? What what what's breakfast? Yeah. What's lunch? What's supper? <laughs> so so being um, in a autistic family, we love routine. So there's a lot of sameness. So I'll start with my son because that, that his breakfast is always the same every day. He always has miso soup with noodles and peas. Mm-hmm. pretty much every day even when we go on holiday we take that with him um now his his lunch is for example a turkey salad bagel with lots of um cucumber and lettuce um and then dinner it may be it may be the mindful chef thing that I'm making and then I might add some meat sometimes he doesn't want meat um 
so that's that's the younger generation yeah uh, for me I don't have a great breakfast I, so I have but I think you know everything in moderation I love my I, live, I love my bagels so I get my carb from that but I have uh, coconut um oil and I have almond nut butter on that so I know there's some good and some bad in there um and a banana that's what I had today and then for my lunch it could be either one of the the all plants type meals if I don't have time or I might make um something with pasta and um some kind of veggie sauce or avocado salad nuts um but I generally like a warm meal so that's why I, I like to have these uh, either the all plant or the mindful chef because I can make it from scratch. Yeah. So what's um, what's the all plant one? Oh, so that will be that again. That's all plant based. Um, yeah. They do things like vegan lasagna. Um, they do miso, black bean, tofu noodles. Um, they do some curries, you know, veggie curries. But I, I can make the veggie curries myself, so I don't tend to to get that from there um but they have all sorts of even like sort of english type meals like shepherd's pie but obviously vegan um so there, there's just lots of choice yeah and I, so they're I, like, I like a ready to, meal that you just put in the oven or yes in the microwave but what i like is that they they are plant-based and much healthier than something you'd get from the supermarket that's yeah. processed yeah um so I, I you know I, I think at the end of the day the reason why people eat processed food is it's convenient right and so rather than say oh convenient is bad it's like how can we make convenient better for us yeah and so looking for now I think we're lucky in in this area that we have more choice around that now yeah go on so that's your lunch yeah so that's lunch and then yeah dinner uh, let's see what did we have last night so last night I had um a, a mindful chef meal again sorry I keep mentioning them but um we had like a, a risotto with kale mint um there was tofu there was duka spices <laughs> um and cashew cream i think it was so it, it was all healthy and it was all delicious um took half an hour to make mm. um kid the kids didn't eat that they had pasta pasta and a, a tomato and veggie sauce with salad so it's it's always um for me it's always about trying to get everyone to eat more vegan stuff but if if they're not then i have to still give them their nutrition somehow so yeah. then have to be adaptable and flexible about it yeah um, but we have a lot of fruit and veg in our house so that's the thing that i didn't really say i think we, we we are snackers right so we have a lot of fruit vegetables and nuts nut butter that sort of thing um that's the healthy stuff. So don't get me wrong. There obviously is unhealthy stuff in there, like crisps. Um, but I think it's all about balance, you know, try and have more of the good stuff than the bad stuff. Yeah. Interesting. It's been fascinating talking to you. I mean, we did we did talk about this a, it was a couple of months ago now, wasn't it? Um, but it's really interesting to get a different perspective and how, you know, you're doing the vegan and you're eating things that we wouldn't eat, like lots of fruit and mm. pasta and things like that, yet you feeling great with it. Mm. And I think, I think that's what we need to recognize is that how do you feel? And if things are not working for you and you're suffering with um, chronic 
illnesses or digestive issues or it could be a multitude of things you know skin issues mm. then maybe what you're eating doesn't work for you but we're not all the same we don't all have to eat in the same way and i think that's where the guidelines fall down a bit is that they're trying to push everybody to eat in the same way the same types of foods that doesn't work for everyone we all need to yeah. find our own way i totally agree with you i think you know it's one size does not fit all and if we listen to the wisdom of our body it gives us the answers and sometimes we don't get the answer straight away but it's about having that communication and and offering and seeing what comes back and that's how we get the answer that's how i see it you know we, we don't all know straight away what we're meant to do but it's having that willingness to be curious and try until it works um because if you give up that's you're 100% guaranteed it's not going to change but if you're willing to keep trying, that's that's what I've found has works. You know, it's that continual curiosity and growth till you get to that place that works for you. And um, yeah, it's 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 a journey, isn't it, for all of us? I think. Yeah. And it sounds like that if you found that further down the line, being vegan wasn't working for you, you would go back to introducing meat or a hundred percent. So, in my mind, I, you know, when I did it, I was like, well, if I lose too much weight. And I don't feel well. I'm just going to start eating what I have to eat. If that's meat, then so be it. But I was surprised how well I felt. I was worried that I was going to feel um, hungry all the time, firstly. And also was worried about not getting enough uh, of the nutrients. Um, but, you know, I did go to the doctor, had blood tests and everything was fine. Um, in fact, you know, that some of it came back. It was better than it was before. So, I think that the evidence is there for, for me. That's what worked for me. Um, and like I said, with my husband, it was eating more of the meat. That could change for both of us over time. You know, it could switch. We, uh, and, and that's fine. It's, it's just being adaptable, really. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm just going to have a look. When this comes out, um, there's another interview that I did with um, Dr. Jim Waller. And um, he was talking about inflammatory bowel disease. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so the, by the time this airs, it would have been last week's podcast, hopefully. I might have to move some things around. But yeah, it, if, it, if while listeners are listening to this, if Dr. Jim Waller hasn't been on yet, he will be on very <laughs> shortly. Um, and he was actually talking about um, irritable, no, inflammatory bowel disease yeah. <laughs> and how he would highly recommend a lower carb approach uh -huh. um to yeah. to to cope with that and manage it yeah yeah so that's very i think that's in line with the the book um you know that i, I mentioned so it's it's good to get um someone who works in that field to give, give their experience yeah so how can people get in contact with you? Maybe they're neurodivergent. Maybe they know someone that's neurodivergent. Maybe they just want to talk to you. I don't know. How can they do that? Uh, so they can find me on my website, uh, which is aspiecoach.com. Uh, so that's A-S-P-I-E. Um, or I am on social media. Um, they can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so actually I, I can share that with you in the notes or whatever yeah maybe um, just mention it because I think some people oh, okay. just like to hear it and then 
they go okay. off and search for <laughs> it themselves. They probably won't be able to spell my name. That's, that's yeah, this is true. Okay, everybody, just go to the show notes and click on the links. Yeah. Um, uh, what was the other thing I wanted to say? <laughs> Lost track now. So you, you, you've given us your website and your social oh, yes. media. So if anyone wants to, if they're just curious, uh, if they have like anxiety, depression, and it's been going on since childhood and they have been going for, you know, counselling and therapy, it's not worked. It's very common for um, neurodivergence to be misdiagnosed with those things. And so if they want to just have a, a free chat, I always offer a free discovery session and they can find that on my website. So there's there's no obligation, but it might just open a door to them of, of um, awareness understanding yeah yeah brilliant thank you so thank you before we finish up can you leave us with your three top tips yes so um my first tip is make sure that you're filling your own cup up first yeah because if you don't take care of yourself you're not going to have as much to give to others um you know being a parent it's it's vital and I made the mistake of putting the kids first which is you know not a bad thing but at the end of the day you deplete yourself and then you haven't got as much to give the kids so fill your own cup first uh number two was make sure you're getting good sleep so as we kind of talked about in the in the show um it's absolutely vital I think it's just one of the foundations so keep working on that if you haven't found the the things that work keep trying new things uh, maybe some of the things we talked about today um and then three, this, I have this question, which I always like to ask. If this was the last day of your life, would you still choose to do what you're about to do today? And that mm. just helps us focus in and become really conscious and intentional. Because a lot of the time we're on autopilot and we're just doing stuff, right? We're just doing stuff and we think that we've got more time. And the reality is we don't know how much time we've got. That's really powerful. Can you can you say that one again? Yeah. Just say it again, because I think that's very powerful. If this was the last day of your life, would you still choose to do today what you're about to do? Yeah. And I reckon for most of us, it's going to be no. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a nice wake up call for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's some things I do throughout the day that I think, yeah, that would be good to do on my last day. But mm. there's probably other things that we think, mm, you know, exactly. maybe, maybe playing that game on your phone isn't the best use of your time. Yeah. <laughs> Canon, that's fabulous to have you with us today and to really get a different perspective. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been really great to talk, Jackie. That was great to talk to Canon. And it's always, I think it's always good to get a different perspective and to challenge your own views because you can you can become a bit of a zealot and just focus in on what you're doing and that's the right thing and not be open to other points of view but as you see we have a lot of common ground and one of the things that Canaan said which I think is really really important was if she didn't feel good she wouldn't continue doing it and I think we always need to be feeling good. Do you feel good? If you feel good and you're not losing weight, does that matter? If you feel good and you're not achieving some of the things that you would like to achieve, and maybe they're not 
realistic goals, we don't know, um, then you feel good. But if you're not doing getting a result that you want and you don't feel good, then that's not a reason to continue. Now, I can link that back to last year when we Louise and I were doing the alternate day fasting and Louise was doing the every other day and I was doing the three days a week. But I did not feel good and I persevered. I tried for nine weeks, I did it, and I just didn't feel good. So I stopped. You have to listen to your body. And that was one of the things that Canaan also said is you you have to listen to your body. Your body has the wisdom to know what's right and what's not right. And I think we need to, but she also said, you have to try it because, and give it a good try, because if you don't, then you're guaranteed not to succeed. So there's that balance of how much is a good try and, and how do you feel? And when, when, when do you pull the plug? You have to sort of listen to your body about when you pull the plug. Um, one of the other things that Kanan said was that if her kids want a snack before bed, she would prefer them to eat protein, but she might encourage them to eat a banana. And I think I mentioned this in the podcast as well, is one, yes, protein, eat protein. That is probably a better choice than some carbohydrate. Now, whilst we think a banana would be too high in sugar, and we probably wouldn't encourage anyone to eat a banana, I see where she's coming from in that a banana is much better than, say, biscuits or cookies or other ultra-processed foods. Anyway, it's such a challenge with kids, unless you're lucky enough to influence them from birth. So we just have to do our best to guide them with our actions. I know my sons don't eat brilliantly, but I'm sure they're not the worst either. And I also know that they know what I eat and what I don't eat and why I do it. So that's always going to be an option for them should they decide to make some change. Anyway, the show notes are at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero nine four. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. 
The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.